0: Locatora Radio. Locatora Radio.
3: Locatora Radio. Mommies of myth and bullshit.
0: A radiophonic novella. Locatora Radio, hosted by Mala Muñoz and Diosa Femme. Hola, hola, Locamores. Welcome back to Season 4 of Locatora Radio, Por Casteras Peligrosas, Wanted for Crimes Against the Patriarchy.
1: We interrupt our regularly scheduled programming to bring you Quarantine Confidential, a special pandemic broadcast about our experiences with quarantine and COVID-19.
0: I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. Our intention behind this miniseries is to archive our experiences during the global coronavirus pandemic. Thank you for joining us on this journey.
1: Last time on Quarantine Confidential, we interviewed my friend, Nadia Nibs, a Minneapolis educator. Tune into that episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Boom. We want to thank Nadia once again for giving us her on-the-ground perspective straight from Minneapolis, um, especially since so many of our listeners are based in the Southwest or New York, um, Chicago even, we don't have um, a ton necessarily of first-hand information about what's going on in Minneapolis, so we are really happy to have had Nadia on the pod. We have even more incredible interviews coming up, so I hope you're all excited.
0: Yes, we have a lineup for y'all. We are back to our regular Saturday recording schedule, so we're hoping... To be more consistent with the podcast and releasing of episodes, as you all know, we're in a global pandemic, and we're still bringing you the content, and we're really excited to have a guest for the second half of this episode.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the content really never stops, especially now. I mean, it was one thing to create content digitally when we were in a quarantine um, under the COVID-19 pandemic, but now we're our country is essentially, I feel like in the early stages, of revolution and civil war. So there's really a lot to talk about. We're going to get into all of those things today.
0: So Mala, how have you been? I know that you've been out at a couple demonstrations in LA in in the downtown area. So can you talk to us about what you've seen? It's your firsthand experience.
1: Yeah. I mean, the part of the city of LA that I live in, I feel like a lot of the demonstrations are going on around me And there have been protests from West Hollywood to Santa Monica, downtown LA. I think there were even protests in Burbank. There have been protests in the San Gabriel Valley, um, in in Van Nuys, all over. And uh, something that's really important to mention is that Black Lives Matter LA has been hosting a weekly protest in front of, I think in front of the LAPD headquarters Uh, To protest the district attorney, Jackie Lacey, uh, who has been our DA Mm -hmm. for some years now. And under Jackie Lacey's leadership, there have been something like 600 police murders, LAPD murders of civilians in L.A. County. And none of them have been prosecuted. Um, Me, myself, when Mm -hmm. I was working at Peace Over Violence as a case manager and rape crisis counselor, I saw so many horrific cases turned down. By Jackie Lacy's, by the DA's office. And just over and over and over again, um, just mm-hmm. really horrific cases of police officers who were domestic abusers, who were rapists, who had child pornography on their computers that had been reported to higher ups. You know, just really horrific crimes that the DA's office continuously just rejected and decided not to file cases on. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Like Black Lives Matter Los Angeles has been out here protesting on a regular basis for years and really building um, the people power. And we're at a point now where Mm -hmm. everyone is out. So um, last week I went to, I went downtown the day after one of the first kind of all day, all night protests And just to check out the downtown area, Spring Street and Broadway, and see what everything looks like. And, of course, there's been so much media attention on the looting. But the honest truth is that the, quote, unquote, looting is so minimal and superficial. I mean, we're talking about broken glass and Mm -hmm. graffiti. You know, like, of course, there have been buildings that have burned down. But the thing that's wild to me is seeing journalists, like, say, at the forefront of their reporting... While, you know, the looters only represent a small minority of people who are out on the streets, the majority of protests are peaceful. And yet the majority of the coverage is on the looting. Right. Even though our our, our journalists acknowledge that it's a small percentage of what's going on. But so I went downtown and then on Sunday, no, on Monday of this week, I went out and I went downtown. I went to City Hall. Um, there was a small but growing protest there that eventually moved to the front of the LAPD headquarters And it was wild because the National Guard is in town and so their tanks are everywhere. I've seen their tanks in Santa Monica, I've seen their tanks over here by where I live, like in the mid-city area, and then their tanks are all over downtown. And on Monday um, I saw that LAPD and the National Guard had really surrounded the entire area, all of the side streets, any of the outlets, anywhere near City Hall or LAPD headquarters, and since we've been on curfew in LA basically for the past week, the ACLU and, and different folks sued the city of LA at this point, so Parsetti had to like undo the curfew and revoke it, but there was a period of time there where they were texting us like all day moving up the curfew like hour by hour from 8 p.m. to 6 p.m. to 4 p.m. In some parts of LA, the curfew was 1 p.m. like on the west side, so what I saw was on my phone, getting all these different um, uh, uh, deadlines for curfew being moved up. And at the same time, the National Guard and the LAPD surrounding the LAPD headquarters. And sure enough, when when protesters, I left early when I saw that shit going on, I left. And um, they so clearly were waiting to trap protesters to arrest everybody. And they came out with all their zip ties around their waist and it was just crazy. So that was on Monday, and then I went out yesterday again, and I went to a march that passed by Pershing Square. And I think that one was a little bit more calm on on the the side of the police, on the side of law enforcement. There were National Guards all over the place. Really weird to hear them say, like, have a nice day and be safe out there. And I'm like, you're the only one holding, like, an assault rifle. (laughs) Why are you telling me to be safe when you're holding... These gigantic assault rifles, like you brought these guns into downtown and they weren't here before. I mean, of course there's guns in downtown, but not like that, (laughs) just out on the street, you know? So it's been wild. I'm planning to go to Hollywood tomorrow. There's another action. Um, And just a caveat, and just like to say, like, I've been going out because I have, I live alone in my apartment. Like I can come and self-isolate. Because the pandemic is still going on, like all the protesters, everyone who's out there is like, we're putting ourselves at a certain amount of risk because COVID is still highly contagious and out there.
0: Yeah, 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 I wanted to share, uh, just as you were talking, I wanted to share that the police chief of LAPD, I'm sure, news, but if you're not in LA, uh, you maybe you didn't hear this, maybe you did, but Michael Moore, the police chief of LAPD said that the looters also have George Floyd's blood on their hands, that they're just as responsible for the police that murdered George Floyd. And naturally this caused an outpour of criticism and he had to backtrack and apologize and say that he misspoke, but he already stated his comment. We know how he really feels. And so... That's just like one little pocket or one little example of what's been happening in LA with our uh, city officials and our our, gov- our local government, uh, Garcetti. I think that he handled COVID itself in LA. I think he handled that really well. And then another public health crisis happened and he is like quick to shy away from any type of controversy. And so now he's under a lot of criticism as well. Like you said, Mala, the ACLU is suing the city of LA. So there's just a lot going on day to day, even like during public comment, people were, you know, telling Michael Moore to suck their dicks, like literally. And so they have been receiving an immense amount of criticism, which is, well-deserved, and so that's just one example of what we're experiencing through LAPD, or just in LA right now with LAP. Yeah, so that's just one example of what's been happening in LA City, City of LA, LA County. There have been demonstrations county-wide. In Southeast LA, there have been multiple youth-led demonstrations, and it's so wild to see the police come out in full riot gear, and then you see these little, like, 17 year olds 18 year olds protesting with their signs and demonstrating and so it's just really backwards to see where we are as a society but the, that's the reality of where we're at I wanted to share this story because I shared it on my close friend circle on Instagram because I didn't want to like take up space with all followers and you know I'm trying to share resources and information and so this just felt something like I can share this at a later time but my gym which is the Latinx owned they shared a video and they shared all these assault rifles that they had in their gym (gasps) and that they were saying like, Oh, we're, we're going to, yeah, we're going to protect ourselves from any looting. And so it like got me, yeah, it got me really fucking heated and I like shared on my close friend circle and I was like, look, this is what my gym just did. And this is really freaking bothering me because you would, be okay shooting a quote looter, as opposed to having your windows broken. And I think just the the sheer, uh, I don't know, just the sheer ignorance of being able to share an assault rifle on your Instagram story and not feel like there would be any repercussion is truly astounding to me. And so it was really bothering me. And it was late at night, it was maybe 1130, almost midnight, and I just started thinking about just historically all the people that kill black people, black men, black children in the name of protecting their property, and I kept thinking about Trayvon Martin and George Zimmerman, and it just really got my blood boiling. And so they typically, I won't call someone in via social media if I feel like these people are really conservative, whatever I say isn't going to change their mind, so I'm not going to waste my energy on it. But because I'm a paying member of this gym, I was like, you know what? I am going to call in. It's a Latinx-owned gym. I pay a, you know, a sizely monthly due, a monthly fee. So, you know, I think that as a patron that I should be able to call in and just express my thoughts and my opinions. And so right. I did. I called in and I was like, look, this is really dangerous um, that you're sharing this type of content on your social media. Like, I can't, I can't understand what it's like to own a storefront and I won't pretend to understand, but this is really dangerous what you're doing. And so I and then I also uh, shared some different organizations that they can get behind and donate to and boost and all of that with their other members. And they responded. They responded as you would expect, basically saying, like, I'm aware that people are going to have their own opinions, but frankly, I don't care. Um, <laughs> okay. We're going to do what we have to do to protect our shop that is a home for many Blah, 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 blah. And so then I responded like, look, I may not be a business owner, but I am a content creator. And what you share on your social media platforms has a lot of weight. And that's why I think that you should not be sharing your rifles on your social media because it sends people the wrong message that they can take matters into their own hands. They can protect their property and literally kill people. And that was that. I left it at that. I'm definitely canceling my membership. There's no way that I'm going to give my hard-earned money to that type of business. And uh, another, a listener actually, and a friend of mine, she also tried calling in because she was a member at that gym as well. And it just, it didn't go anywhere. So I think that this current moment is just showing us where people's, where people are, in their yeah. life and where they are in the movement and if they're even supportive of the movement at all. And right. so I think it's definitely given me a moment or some time to reflect on where I'm putting my dollars, where I'm supporting and where I'm going to redirect it to.
1: 100%. And I mean, let's not have such short term memory loss that we forgot that at The opportunity the government had to support small businesses at the height of the pandemic when it first hit and when everybody was losing their jobs and businesses were closing. Who was the federal government approving aid and paycheck protection for? Corporations! Let's not pretend all of a sudden that the federal government and that the state and that the city or the county have given any kind of a shit about small business owners, especially small business owners who are people of color. Like, let's not forget the history of predatory lending, the way that the banks are super predatory and take everything that they can get, the way that that we have no problem tearing down housing and businesses to make way for corporations and for luxury high rises. Like I really am not buying the disingenuous, you know, like all of a sudden these small businesses are so precious to us as a society. I haven't seen it really yet. And it's like, look, I'm sorry, but you're a gym. And the last time I checked the gyms were not really considered essential services and are still closed. Are they not like, So there's so much also like this self-importance that I'm seeing from people like my dude. Nobody is coming to your neighborhood. No one's coming to your house. And honestly, what I've been seeing, too, on the news and from a lot of small business owners themselves verifying. Oh, well, we put a sign in our window that said immigrant owned or family owned and we were left alone. We stood outside of our business and told the looters. We're immigrant owned, family owned, and they skipped us, you know, that's not to say that there are not people who are acting violently and aggressively, but let's have perspective, you know?
0: Right. And I I also am seeing like something disingenuous happening. I'm glad that you brought that up where I feel like people are now because they're learning that, that, you know, potential looters will like leave you alone if you're like Latinx owned or immigrant owned. And I feel like people are now putting that on their businesses, but don't actually believe it like don't actually support Black Lives Matter. And I say that because yesterday I was in Whittier and I saw this flower shop that said hashtag, it was boarded up and it said hashtag Black Lives Matter. And then it said hashtag Whittier Strong. And Whittier Strong was born out of the Blue Lives Matter movement or not even movement, just the Blue Lives Matter ridiculous, And that's like where the Whittier Strong comes from. And so I'm like, so which one is it? Is it with your Strong or is it Black Lives Matter? Like, you know, please clarify for me. And so now I'm seeing, I feel like that's that's happening as well. And it's obviously very disingenuous, but that's a clear indicator to me that you're not actually for the people or the movement because you're, you're conflating the two when they're not, they're in yeah. no way connected.
1: Also... I am a little bit rusty on my constitutional amendments and such, but I'm trying to think how high up is the right to own a small business as far as the constitutional rights go? Or is freedom of (laughs) speech and freedom of assembly not a little bit higher up on the priorities? You know?
0: I would say it's higher up. I would say that. I don't have a storefront, but I do work with business owners and I do know that business owners have to have some type of insurance. Yes! And so I would assume, I would assume that if your windows get busted, not even like not even protest looting wise, but just on a regular old day if you were to get robbed or there were to be a fire, I'm I'm like 99% sure that your insurance would cover that. And so yeah. I'm not understanding still why we're prioritizing the smashing of windows over actual human lives, over black lives.
1: And I appreciate I was on. Can
0: we I I need people to catch up?
1: Absolutely. And I was on Twitter. Right. And of course, all the good stuff is on Twitter because our broadcast journalism is lagging and a lot of our print journalism is lagging. Sorry about it. They know. They know that they're lagging mm-hmm. and they know that they're behind. Yeah. I mean, the New York Times was basically in their own civil war recently because it turns out the New York Times op-ed team went out of their way to mm-hmm. pitch an op-ed to Senator Tom Cotton. And so he puts out his fascist manifesto per request of the New York Times. And of course, they gaslight the hell out of their journalists of color who have been talking about the Mm -hmm. issues at the New York Times. And I mean, it's the New York Times. It's the paper of record. So Mm -hmm. that's what we're seeing. So anyways, I'm on Twitter because that's where we get our actual news. And uh, a man by the name of Marshall Zellinger from Marshall 9 News tweets out, there was a decision from a judge in Colorado. A federal judge issued a restraining order blocking Denver police from using chemical weapons or projectiles of any kind against persons engaging in peaceful protests Mm. or demonstrations. And the judge, part of his decision, uh, he said, if a store's windows must be broken to prevent a protester's facial bones from being broken or eye being permanently damaged, that is more than a fair trade. If a building must be graffitied to prevent the suppression of free speech, that is a fair trade. In essence, the the sanctity of human life, of human bodies, and our, our freedom of speech are so much more important than any building, any window, or any business. And it's actually like a moral, legal, and ethical imperative to protect our right to burn the shit up when the federal government is killing unarmed civilians routinely. Like it is Mm -hmm. more than a fair trade, like this judge is saying. And I was really happy with Governor Newsom who came out and said, the looting is not a Black community problem. This is a white supremacy problem. This is a government problem. We have done this. We have dragged ourselves here. Like, we have made this happen. So a few people in positions of power are providing that counter-narrative, but not enough, I would say.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, we're still in a global pandemic through all of this. We're in two public health crises at the same time. And that just compounds, like, why folks are out protesting or out at the demonstrations because one job loss, economic disparity, people are angry, you know, and Mm -hmm. obviously disproportionately communities of color, black communities are going to be affected. And so we're seeing a very historical moment right now. We're living through it. I'm hopeful that radical change can come through this, you know, nationwide. People are talking about defunding the police. Yeah. And there, there's a lot. There's a lot going on.
1: There's a whole lot and going on. So
0: and so before we head into our interview, I wanted to share because I've been thinking about this from my per, on my personal end, because I am not out at demonstrations. I'm not out at the protests. I'm not out in the streets. And so I've been seeing conversations online happening like you don't have to occupy all the lanes, like find the lane that you fit in and what you can do there. And so I I'm someone, like Mala mentioned earlier, she can self-isolate. I'm someone, I've shared this many times, I live with my parents. I am not comfortable running the risk of, you know, getting COVID because I cannot self-isolate. I cannot put my parents at risk. And we're all healthcare workers, so it can literally travel to many other people if any of us were to get sick. So anyway, so I've been thinking about that and I saw this really great framework that was created and it was created by Deepa Iyer, and I'm going to link it in the show notes. And so she talks about different different types of frameworks and roles that people have in the in the movement. And so she has this reflective uh, reflective section section where you can ask yourself questions about what does your role look like in the movement, and how can you really hone in on those qualities to make a difference. And so some examples that I wanted to share are: she talks about, about weavers experimenters, frontline responders, visionaries, builders, caregivers, disruptors, et cetera, et cetera. And so I wanted to share that for folks that maybe are trying to find their space and where they belong in this movement. Maybe you're immunocompromised. Uh, maybe you have a disability and you cannot be out there marching in the streets and you want to show some type of solidarity or some type of support. So I'm going to link that in the show notes so that folks can um, Check it out and see where they stand, see where they belong, where they can fit. And so I wanted to self-identify as a weaver, which is someone that sees through lines of connectivity between people, places, orgs, ideas, and movements. And then there's also the role of storyteller. And clearly, that is what we're here doing at Locatora Radio. So I wanted to share that, provide some insight. I hope you uh, find the place that you fit.
1: Yeah, thank you for sharing that, Yosa. And um, I'm thinking to, like, make sure that you're following Black Lives Matter and the chapter in your city or closest to you, because when it's not, you know, actions, protests, marches and uh, coming together in the streets, there are opportunities to, like, provide public comment on your local city council Zoom meeting. That's something that happened this past week that Black Lives Matter was encouraging folks to call in and to participate and demand the people's budget. That's a big thing right now that um, Black organizers are asking folks to amplify and look into, uh, study up on, and push in your local area. Uh, like Diosa said, we want to defund the police. And we know that even now, in the midst of all the chaos and uh, in the midst of the uprising, Garcetti is still trying to uh, you know, give police extra, I think, billions of dollars, not even millions. So we're really working on on pushing budgets and on focusing on where the money is going because where the money goes is where the power goes as well, right? And then I would say, like, if you are planning on going out to a protest, um, make sure you wear a mask and take multiple masks with you because you might need to change yours out. They are really pepper spraying people indiscriminately and tear gassing people indiscriminately um, I took like a jug of milk the first time I went out just in case, because I've seen that that be recommended. Yeah. Uh, folks that we know have been gassed and pepper sprayed, um, friends of ours who are journalists and who have been out protesting as well or covering the protests. Um, and something that I've been doing is taking a Sharpie and writing like my emergency contact, my sister, her phone number in my arm. And then there's, like, a number for a bail bonds um, resource here in the city as well that folks have been sharing. And do not go by yourself. Take someone with you. Go with a friend or two friends and make sure that you have, like, a plan, Um, you know, where your car is. You kind of know, like, how many blocks you would be comfortable running if you had to run. Um, Figure out if you guys want to be in the middle of everything or if you want to be on the outskirts and um think about if you're like willing to lose things like if you're taking things with you is it stuff that you can live without or that you can lose if you need to and then who are you telling that you know you're going to be there because as we've seen too um the LAPD are just like arresting folks in mass and not disclosing always the locations that that detainees are being taken to we've seen um Mujeres, one mujer in particular, write about essentially being sexually assaulted by the LAPD. How her and other protesters were were very much physically abused and then dropped off in the middle of nowhere in Westwood with like no phones or 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 transportation. Keeping in mind that in a lot of cities like LA, they they have also been shutting down public transportation. So it's like not normal. It's like it's like it feels like a war zone, you know. And so like even you know, no yeah. one plans to get arrested. I have zero plans of getting arrested, but we're walking into all of these, like taking those precautions because it is that serious out there. Um, we see, I, I have seen people with their kids yeah. out there too. Like they're they're shooting tear gas into crowds with children in them, you know? So just keep those things in mind um, mm-hmm. when you decide which action you might be participating in.
0: I would also say um look into who the organizers are the founders of black lives matter are queer women right inherently black lives matter is queer it's trans and so get to know who the organizers are is it white organized is it not is it affiliated with black lives matter i think that that's just as important when you're doing your research and where you're going to go protest and demonstrate
1: yeah, and like another pro tip that I was really surprised about, um, but is super helpful. So if you down, if you have a Snapchat and you check out the Snap Map of the city where you live, you can get these hyper, hyper, hyper local on the ground views of the protests in real time and what they look like. Because mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're just looking at the snap map and the concentration of people who are posting their own protest experience to Snapchat. And you can just see just like this bird's eye view of everything. So yeah. And, and again, yeah. follow Black Lives Matter because that's the source. That's where you're going to find like, I think the most legit stuff
0: yeah absolutely and ultimately be safe out there always let people know where you're going to be at if you're going to be out uh like mala shared all those really great tips when she was going to the first demonstration i was like okay girl in the event that you are detained do you have bail money where is it right where do we go get you because Uh like like mala said like you're not going with the intention of getting arrested. I mean, maybe you are, but if you're not, like, there's clear accounts of folks, of the LAPD detaining folks, and then just dropping them off God knows where. So always Mm -hmm. be safe, you know, don't go alone. Let people know where you're at. Uh, There's a bunch of different safety tips online when it comes to, like, digital safety and, like, turning off location services, Mm -hmm. um, turning off your cell service, all of that. So just things to keep in mind if you're out in the thick of it.
1: Things to keep in mind. And right now, I feel like, you know, the LAPD, like, this term law enforcement is such a misnomer and means almost nothing because there are such clear violations of our laws and procedure. There are so many constitutional and human rights and civil rights violations taking place daily at these protests being perpetrated by, uh, you know, quote unquote, lot of law enforcement. So it's just very bizarre to Mm -hmm. see like, you know, very average everybody, you know, unarmed just out there trying to exercise constitutional rights and allegedly the state You know, there to protect, but is doing everything they can to wage war and to silence folks. So it's your right to be out there if you want to be, if you can be. Um, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of, I know my mom has been really scared for me and doesn't want me to go. And I'm like, look, at the end of the day, like, we have rights and they can't just force us inside. Mm -hmm and stomp us out and make us be quiet, you know, and they can't, there's more of Mm -hmm. us than there are of them. And I think that they're seeing that. And that's why they're so scared. And that's why they're reacting so violently. They're overwhelmed as they should be. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yes. sepan, let them be afraid. They literally work for us, taxpayers, Mm -hmm. dollars, literally taxpayer dollars fund, all sorts of departments in Los Angeles. Like they literally work for us. Our stupid ass president works for us, literally. Right. So yeah, sepan, let them be afraid.
1: Let them be afraid. And that's not all we have for you today because we have still a whole other interview, <laughs> a whole second a half to this, this episode. We <laughs> yes, we do.
0: Yes, we do. So before we get into before we introduce our amazing, fabulous, beautiful guests, I want to we want to share with y'all that we have a new mid episode song break. Mala, do you want to talk about our new song break, our new jingle?
1: Absolutely. So you know, as we grow, we realize we can no longer uh, play copyrighted music without permission. We will get in trouble <laughs> one day. So you guys are used to hearing everything on Locatora, uh Megan the Stallion what have you, Beyonce, Rihanna, um, we can't do that anymore. So what we did do was we, we tapped into local talent, as we do, and we hit up our friend DJ Bianca Oblivion, and we asked her to put together, um, yeah, like a mid-episode song break for us. So you all are hearing the premiere today. How exciting.
0: Yes, so exciting it's so cute it's like a little less than a minute long I love it something for y'all to dance to and get hyped for for our next guest uh we're super excited to introduce to bring on gata of reggaeton con la gata she's the executive producer and host of a bilingual podcast and youtube series that takes a deep dive into the origins of a reggaeton and where it is today uh, I was having some technical difficulties, so the majority of the interview is with Mala, but I love Reggaeton con la Gata. I love what she does. I love what she's about. So we're, I'm really excited that we had the opportunity and the chance to share our platform with her.
1: 100%. So yeah, without further ado. Enjoy! Por peligrosas
0: Welcome back. We are super excited to introduce our next guest of our capitulo. Please welcome Gata of Reggaeton con la Gata. Hey, girl. Hey, Hey. qué pasa? How's it going?
4: I'm I'm good. I'm doing pretty pretty good, good. good. considering.
0: Yeah. (laughs) A lot going on. Where where are you checking in from today? Where where do you stay?
4: I am in Boston, Massachusetts.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Amazing.
1: And how are things Boston in Boston? has, a, has a <laughs> Yeah, how are things are in things Boston, Boston right now? Yeah, like how is the city responding and participating in everything that's going on right now?
4: I'm very proud of the city for um, really putting action to words. You know, um, Boston has a very strong history. Um, A lot of America's history started right here in Massachusetts, here in Boston. So it's beautiful to see that um, moving forward, especially as, you know, the topic is now, um, the topic at hand and center is um, having to do with Black Lives Matter. So it's beautiful to to see different communities. Some um, have actually surprised me that are all working in solidarity. So I'm very proud of the city right now.
0: That's beautiful. That That's really great to hear because like on, on our end, we're in the West Coast, we're in LA, and uh, we're seeing all these different demonstrations happen countywide. And so it's great to hear the other actions that are happening in other states. I've like seen that all 50 states have participated in some type of demonstration or protest this past week.
4: Yeah, definitely. Um, I'd say that it's, it's beautiful to see. I just hope that we keep at it and um you know I just really hope that you know a change can come out of this because we're all tired aren't we I know I am
1: (laughs) yeah the fatigue and the question of fatigue like on all fronts is definitely um on our minds and we see that a lot of like black journalists, black protesters, organizers are really talking about the importance of mental health and stamina always, but especially now. And I also have seen some like commentary on Twitter about how, you know, if you're new to this and new to social justice, this is not a one week thing. Like you need to get ready for the long haul. And I don't know, is that something that you've been seeing those types of conversations on your end?
4: Absolutely, as I am, um, you know, of course, well in, involved in the entertainment industry. Uh, the, big the big question right question now is how are our favorite regional artists able to get into the conversation in a way that's not problematic? And of course, there's a lot of education to be done um, in regards to like what that even means and how to keep it continuous. Because unfortunately, as I've had to Educate some of you know the people um, working with some of these artists is that unfortunately, due to structural racism, it's right. This is going to happen again, unfortunately. Um, it's something that we anticipate, it's something that's part of this trauma. And so um, I'm seeing a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of efforts towards education, which is nice, but um, I'm very uh, curious uh, in particular on the steps that need to be taken in regards to the education and and continuous initiatives initiatives in order to keep education flowing. So yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Um, Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I've, you know, I have been following the different tweets and the different social media posts from some of the favorite popular reggaeton or or urbano artists. And um, they have been falling short, to say the least. They, I know that you did, you wrote about, you wrote an op-ed for Remezcla about the artists in Musica Urbana and how they haven't been really pulling, showing up, they haven't been showing up for the Black Lives Matter movement. And so I wanted to hear your perspective on some of the things that the artists have said the past couple weeks, or the past week, especially on Twitter. We've had, like, Karo G posting a picture of her dog. We've had Jay Balvin asking for people oh. to educate him. <laughs> so I wanted to hear your perspective on um, calling out these artists and calling in and how they can be doing more.
4: Um, absolutely. And, uh, wow. <laughs> Where do I even begin? <laughs> um, <laughs> right. I think <laughs> that... One of the biggest fears that we're all having as a collective is, uh, and I certainly have it all the time as a comunicadora social, is saying the wrong thing, right? People aren't right all the time. And of course, the internet is a scary place where you say one thing just, just left of right and bam, you know, you're going viral off of something that you know is not in your heart and that is not based off of, you know, your actual beliefs and things of that nature. So of course, um, with that being said, we see a lot of hiccups, I don't even know if I should call it a hiccup, I'm being nice I guess, Um, hiccups being done by some of our faves, Um, that picture with Garoji was brutal, just to witness. Um, right, Bevin, really, he's really trying, (laughs) but the prayer man is really, (laughs) he's really just you know, he's clueless, and um, you know, it speaks volumes to the privilege that he has that he is able to be clueless. I wish I could be clueless, God would, I would give to like not have to be able to think about these things constantly. You get what I'm saying, right? Right. So, um, yeah, uh, definitely, um, very grateful and shout out to the mezcla for um, amplifying my voice. Um, I was able to touch on a, a number of topics in the article, including when uh, i limited to uh, the importance of el frase que no hay reggaeton sin hip-hop. There's no reggaeton without hip-hop. And it's pretty much giving the historical context of uh, you know, the symbols that our artists love to use that really come from hip-hop, and hip-hop stemming back from or being born out of the civil rights movement because of injustice, um, you know, due to Jim Crow laws and, and segregation and things of that nature that go back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years here in the United States, and as well as the juxtaposition of uh, injustice towards Negroes, Afro-Latinos in Latin America, and just how much these problems are just as much ours as it is American and, you know, to be able to profit off of these symbols really is a privilege and a, and a blessing and you know the least, the very least that, you know, our artists could do is, is say something. And I guess out of that fear, you know, everybody pretty much posted during Blackout Tuesday, the Black Square, and, and went back to, you know, business as usual, which was very heartbreaking. I, I don't even know whose music to stream right now. Um, I had to make a playlist called Negraton and had to, you know, really bounce off of the artists there, I you know, as, as I do regularly, but now more than ever, just because it just doesn't feel right. I'm, bad Bunny is breaking my heart, man.
1: <laughs> right. And he was just all over um, Rolling Stone in the middle of the pandemic, very active, posting all the time yes. for all kinds of things. And then all of a sudden, like radio silence and people have definitely noticed and expect more, I think, At this point in our history, it seems to me like the public expects way more from artists and um, from somebody like Bad Bunny who is known to wear do-rags, right, and is very appropriative of Black culture when he performs and in his music. And is that something that you've seen? Do you see, like, the public just being, have way higher expectations for celebs?
4: Um, Definitely, because, you know, they're able to profit off of the symbols that... um, seem to be able to grow some and hold others back. Um, you know, I saw the other day um, that a picture of Rosalia, who has a beautiful voice, right? She has a beautiful voice. She's absolutely beautiful. It's not a tactic on her as an individual, but more so, you know, the symbols that she's, she's utilizing. I saw a picture of her wearing grills, and I posted, wow. And someone tweeted back, well, you're really trying to say that growth comes from, Black people, it's not that serious. I'm like, it is absolutely that serious. In Panama, um, I can only speak to what I know, in Panama, gold is an extremely important um, aspect of Black culture, of Afro-Panamanian culture. And um, things like respectability are things that, you know, hold back Black Panamanians from uh, monetary um, opportunities in Panamanian society. Meanwhile, we have a superstar who, has really nothing to do with that type of um, cultural aesthetic, utilizing it for the um, to further her own image and branding, it's like, you know, that juxtaposition is extremely important to take into consideration, and as far as Bad Bunny goes, you know, things things of that nature occur all the time, from the do-ride to, I, I can't even get into how long that list of, is of symbols that he's been able able to to utilize and um, profit off of. So absolutely, it's something something that that I do 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 see often, often. yes.
0: Okay, got that. So going back to my initial question, we were talking about uh, different reggaetoneros, what they had been tweeting in support or lack thereof, and I wanted to ask you, have you seen any artists actually do it correctly? Actually show a message of support and it'd
4: be like right on the mark? Absolutely. I'm very happy with daddy yankee's response um becky g um i want to say that she surprised me it's just more so like i'm i'm still getting used to the fact that she's doing reggaeton now um and calling her reggaetonera like i'm still getting used to that but Mm -hmm. she absolutely hit the nail on the head um, with her passion her amount of posting on across different platforms and daddy yankee i'd say that daddy yankee more than any other artist um, definitely understands the importance of showing respect to African-Americans or and or black people in general and their plight and our plight because of his music being at the forefront of the Pan-Latino crossover, you know, with Gasolina, into the American market. Um, it was his music that was at the forefront. It was his collaborations that really, like, abrió la puerta for artists coming later. So if anything, he definitely understands, um, you know, the importance of hip hop in its entirety um, and how that helps reggaeton to grow in it of itself. So absolutely, I'd say Becky G and Yankee. I'm very proud of them.
1: I was going to say you do a lot of uh, posting and writing about basically the political origins and energy behind reggaeton and Musica Urbana. And so it's is it is it almost like a requirement or an obligation or a call to action? Like if you're making this type of music, you are doing some type of a political work and the expectation then is that you should be engaged and informed and tuned in and participating. Is that like fair to say?
4: I would say that And this is a question I get often, um, simply because of the way that artists have been able to benefit from these symbols, these black symbols. I would say that because reggaeton, and I consider reggaeton to be the manifestation of the blanqueamiento of perreo, people like to group perreo and reggaeton together, but perreo and reggaeton, they coincide, but they're not always the same thing. Um, I'd say that perreo is is political, perreo is black, it's reggaeton, although it has um, essences, it's very pop, it's largely pop. Um, So with that being said, reggaetoneros thriving in reggaeton, do they have a duty to really speak up? I would say yes, because a lot of the essences that are utilized um, are black and come from places that are political um, and it does speak volumes that they know and are aware of you know what they're comprised of and what they stand for um, and it's also you know I, I feel like right now we're at a time where we're really seeing artists um, not really understanding that <laughs> not really understanding um, you know the fact that everything that they um, put out, really does come from a political place and really showing that they really don't understand um, just the levels of privilege that's been been able to allow them to thrive in this type of space. And juxtaposition to Perreo, which has been frowned on, um, you know, just thrown to the side, um, you know, has really um, been able to other artists and really put them into a box and further damage their careers, which I think is absolutely wrong, but, you know, it speaks volumes to the power of what I get is. So I would say, yes, absolutely.
1: And Gata with your, with your work um, digitally, your writing, your interviews, uh, what is your process like? You interview a lot of these artists themselves to like inform the, the archival work that you're doing. So tell us a little bit about your process and how you put your project together.
4: Um, so is actually an idea I had in my dorm room. <laughs> um, one day I, um, well, let me let me back up either from that. So I studied communications and um, writing a whole lot of papers on the principles and theories of communication and To make it interesting, I would often throw music theory into it. And of course, I gotta include in there some way, somehow. I thought it was fascinating seeing how can be um, talked about in academic lens. And long story short, I started to get to go out at my dorm because I became pissed. Um, I think it was way back when um, I was looking at a presentation that Flex did. Um, Flex, DJ Flex from Panama. Um, did on TV, and he, you know, was presented as the other name that he's, you know, he uses more commonly in Latin America. And it pissed me off to hell. (laughs) And it pretty much inspired me to kind of take a step further and create a platform on this level. And I kid you not, um, once I started working, I have reached out to a lot of artists, but a lot of artists have actually reached out to me. Um, which is the one of the biggest blessings of my life. Last year I was invited to Puerto Rico by DJ Blast himself. I was invited by Mr. Greens and Congratulations um, they're one of they're two of my thank you. And they're two of the biggest like figures of reggaeton to me. Like they I, I'm such a huge fan of their work, of everything that they've been able to produce, the sounds. I mean DJ Blass is the king of Sandungue. Uh, just to be in his presence is, a, is an extreme blessing. So my process is largely um, just sticking true to um, a lot of the, um, actually the, a lot of the uh, academic um, theories that I've been able to study in school, and um, really studying the work of the likes of Marisol Lebrón. Shout out to Marisol Lebrón. Um, who um, wrote largely on Hindi reggaeton and um, a lot of the breaking down a lot of the barriers that really help classify what it is that we're listening to and its cultural references, mm-hmm. um, and and really just like taking into consideration the work of people who you know come before me like El Cepeda. I'm a huge fan of hers, and really just trying to figure out how to create my own voice. I see a lot of. Um, respectability um, and how that um, really damages, you know, the conversations that need to be had regarding this music. Um, Reggaeton Perreo is largely sexual and it's a lot of the reason why people try to stay away from it and um, I actually love the sexual themes that are described, um, both problematic and not problematic, just simply because um being able to analyze it and really like ask ourselves you know what are we celebrating when we dance and listen to these things and and not is is um very interesting just to see it all unfold so my process is largely just sticking true to what it is that I've studied um to what I've um have studied under the work of people who have come before me and um really listening to these artists as they reach out to me I, I, that's one of the biggest blessings I'll give you guys an exclusive. Very soon you'll see me collaborating with none other than Nando Boom. I'm very excited to work with him.
1: And for our listeners who want to check out that interview and check out that collaboration, where can they find your work and support and amplify?
4: Absolutely. Um, I believe that I will be collaborating with Nando Boom live on camera due to the coronavirus pandemic. Um, we'll be on Instagram Live, doing an interview talking about a negritud, um of reggae espanol, and as well as, you know, the barriers that he's had to face um, creating that type of music in Panama during the time of which it was um, created. Because he's one of the founding fathers, him and General and Michael Ellis, so I'm very excited. Instagram Live, um, which will be on reggaeton Colagata the same name across all platforms. minus is Pereo Ciento Uno, which is my historical podcast.
1: So there's a lot of different places where people go can go and get all, all of this knowledge, this cultural education. Um, and I'm wondering, too, if there is a conversation that you think is not getting enough attention right now. There's so many layers and so much going on globally um, and, and in all 50 states. But in in your point of view, is there something that's not quite getting enough attention that we need to sort of focus in on more?
4: I would say that definitely something that um, isn't being addressed right now um, is more so the white guilt um, that we're having as a collective. Um, It's evident and it's becoming more and more evident as time passes because there's a surge of content um, focusing on Um, Afro-Latino artists and how they feel about Black Lives Matter, and it's like, well, (laughs) um, we had all this time to focus on them and their stories and, you know, how racist um, pressures have really formed their path into this industry and, um, you know, past, present, and forward. But, of course, right now, instead of asking white artists, hey, what space have you made, or... um, you know, what collaborations have you done in order to amplify space? Um, Instead of asking those type of questions, we're redirecting as an industry over to Afro-Latinos and how they feel. the most vulnerable people in the industry, might I add, because, I mean, as we can see, such is a unicorn. (laughs) You don't see a lot of artists like such. Um, Big, fluffy, I say fluffy, fluffy, (laughs) and um, dark-skinned. You don't see that ever. Last chubby artist I swear we had was Hector and Father. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, You know, and and he was, you know, I'd say, how about? I wouldn't call him white, but like, how about? But the point is... um, Something that's definitely not being addressed right now is, is white guilt. And um, I think that one way to really combat that is just being honest. It's okay to understand the fact that we don't know all the answers. But what's not okay is staying silent, not taking action, not trying to make space, not you know staying complicit, saying, well, it's going to boil over. Okay, and until the next time it happens, sadly. So that's definitely something that's not being addressed right now.
1: I'm thinking too like about the artists that we tend to know. Like I would say in non-black Latinx communities, like we know who El General is, we know who Celia Cruz is, we know about like um individual artists, but you're naming just in this short time with us, you're naming all of these these artistas and figures that I feel like a lot of the community, the non-Black Latinx communities have not been introduced to or who don't know about. And I'm curious about like in your archival work and in your journalism, uh, Reggaeton con la Gata, where you see those kinds of gaps in history or preservation and, 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 and the importance of making sure that like all of these artists are known and celebrated and documented.
4: Ooh, that's a question. <laughs> um, oh man, I feel like a lot of the erasure started when reggaeton um, started to become mainstream. I was, I mean, swimming with like amounts of of, of black reggaeton artists: Angel Dos, Cartier. Um OG Black. Um wow. <laughs> I, I can't think of them all off, off the top of my head just because there were so many that I was regularly listening to. La Cista, Glory, um, wow. Of course, Tego Calderon said, Hey, Donoman is, is, is a king. Um you know, um, there's so many artists, and I feel like that began to happen once Reggaeton became mainstream, a lot of the collaborations, um, started to move from who's been here before to who's hot and big now. And over time, it just um, continued to grow based off of that, instead of really giving respect to our elders um, and people who have been there before us. Um, I say this all the time, I feel like this industry doesn't really give respect to people who have come before us in comparison to hip-hop. And I give this example all the time. I, think, I believe it was the MTV Video Music Awards last year. Queen Latifah was there. And I was like, Queen Latifah? I was like, well, she hasn't dropped music in forever. What are they doing? Oh, she's getting like some sort of iconic, like, you know, conic like legendary award. Don't don't quote me, I don't know the name. But the point is, she was being rewarded for her efforts in in this genre. And I was like, wow, how many years later? And she hasn't released anything, and this is how they treat her with respect. We don't ever see that in our industry. We're too busy with who's hot and shiny now. And as soon as their shininess, like, you know, dulls down, we're on to the next person and the next person, instead of giving respect to who's come before us. And of course, there are efforts, you know, there are efforts um, in order to give respect and things of that nature, the cute Instagram captions and stuff like that. But I mean, like, as in the industry, it doesn't happen nearly enough. Um, I love that when Bad Bunny went on live for Yurago Le La Lagana, when he played every single track, he shouted out Cartier, and um, really educated people on how his song, Bete, um, is in reiteration of Caltiel's, Si tu te vas, quiero saber, Si tu te vas, mi cuando tú quieras verte. classic, Oh, <laughs> Barbani, yes, comes a from Cartier, and a lot of people don't know that, and they're just, yeah, and they're just consuming all this music. I'm like, y'all not really putting bridges together, and that really hurts to see, especially because. I mean, Cartier, I really hope... I mean, of course, I, I, I can imagine he's getting his royalties off of Bete, and I feel like that's the only way that I'm seeing a lot of respect being given through royalties on it's the backside. Int-
1: side. It, it's interesting that you point that out, too, because in the U.S., in hip-hop, it's such a thing to look for the music that's being sampled in the new stuff and looking for, you know... Yeah. The the original song, the original beat that the new song was derived from and, you know, pointing out where's that sort of music history and music education being preserved so we can do that in this like musical landscape.
4: Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely. And I feel like that's due to, uh, in part, to a number of different things. Um, We like to jumble everything together under one genre Whereas, look at hip-hop. Hip-hop, I say hip-hop, but there's trap, there's right. trap music, there's crunk music, you know what I'm saying? There's, there's southern rap, there's, there's west coast, there's east coast.
1: Definitely.
4: Reggaeton, people say it like it's one genre. I'm like, yo, there's perreo, there's sandungueo, there's beaqueo. Like, people don't want to give those different reiterations of perreo their respect. And so going forward, what do we do? We classify everything under Urbana. And, um, you know, we call things that, we call music that isn't reggaeton, reggaeton just for the sake of, oh, well it has, you know, that little bee, that, that little reiteration of the Dumbo B. I'm like, yeah, but the essences aren't there. And, um, you know, people really don't give each of these subgenres their flowers and it's hurting us in the process.
1: So got that just finishing up our conversation today. Thank you so much for um, just hanging with us through our tech issues and the time difference and the pandemic and every other thing that could possibly happen. It's cool. Um,
4: it's cool. Anytime.
1: It's fine. Um, where can our listeners, uh, subscribe, follow and share your work? And do you have any tips moving forward for how people can be, like, I don't know, conscientious or culturally aware, like perreo and reggaeton consumers or makers?
4: Um, Absolutely. Um, I would say that the best way to stay conscientious of, um, you know, when consuming um, reggaeton is pretty much to do basic homework in regards to you know what these artists are inspired by i would say that these artists do give credit in regards to who um has inspired them who they listened to growing up but sadly sometimes it it, it ends there um and i feel like that's irresponsible but um you know of course it's a lot of different factors um influencing these artists at the same time this industry is not easy, easy Uh, So I'd say definitely just doing your homework on the artists and what they say inspires them. That's definitely, like, the easiest way to stay conscientious and um, make sure you're, like, you're doing your part to give respect to the people who's come before them and who influence the work of what they're doing. Um, I had tweeted the other day, people don't ask themselves, like, was this borrowed? Was this stolen? Is this copied? Um, We don't ask ourselves that question enough. And as well as quoting Pablo Picasso, um, good artists borrow, great artists steal. You know, really ask ourselves what it is that we are consuming when we're consuming it. That's definitely one of the most responsible ways to um, consume music, I would say, uh, across any genre, but you know, definitely with reggaeton in this case. I would say that the best way to stay in touch with me um, and to keep up with what it is that I'm doing is to check out Ragatón on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, YouTube. I try to do um, reggaeton analysis via a segment called "Atabajo," getting to the bottom of um, the analysis of these topics that I love talking about 24/7, <laughs> and as well as my um, podcast, which is um, largely historically based, Perreo 101.
1: All right, Gata of Reggaeton con la Gata. Thank you once again for joining us today on Locatora Radio. And to all of our Locamores, go check out all of Gata's work, all of her channels. And as always, uh, you can tune in to Locatora Radio on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify, Audio Boom, and SoundCloud. Uh, Hit the Venmo if you'd like to support indie projects. We're at locatora-radio. And check us out at locatoraradio.com. We'll see you next time. Besitos. Wear it like no one else.
2: Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh?
1: Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in!
2: Ah, ski slopes. Let's
3: do it! Um, tanner girl go shopping! Yeah, baby! Wait!
2: Did we just invent California?
3: Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. You know that feeling
1: when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new?